centered around Jesus Christ. And not only is there life in this room, but there is potential. There is opportunity. Just to second what Harry is saying, you don't realize it right now, but you'll realize it when you look back. What opportunity that you have right now studying at this institution. And it is one of the most important, defining times in your life. Uh, you are setting trajectories whether you realize it or not. And every time you make a good decision that honors Christ, you set a good trajectory that results in a life well lived. So with that thought, let's turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one, and we'll be looking this morning at just the first seven verses. And I understand you, you've been in the Proverbs a little bit, maybe this semester or recently, uh, which serves us well, <clears throat> as you're already in tune with the, the nature of this book. Okay, Proverbs one, one through seven, the word of God reads, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's read the word of the living God. If I said to you the word excellence, I wonder what you think of. Excellence. The Oxford English Dictionary describes it as the quality of being outstanding or extremely good. We get it from a Latin verb that simply means to surpass. I would say that excellence as an idea, as a quality, is something we don't talk about a lot today. I can pick up any number of books that tell me how to get rich quick. <clears throat> But where can I find instruction on how to be excellent with money? How to handle money with integrity and honesty? I can read any number of blog posts about how to find a girl, how to get a date, but who tells me how to be an excellent friend? I can download any number of podcasts that teach me how to talk persuasively and to, to clinch that deal or to get other people to do what I want with my words, but where can I read about how to be excellent with my speech, how to speak honestly and how to administer a timely rebuke and how to speak truth and comfort into someone's life? The quality of excellence is long forgotten in our age. And yet the answer to all of these questions can be found, and it is, of course, in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs teaches us how to live an excellent life. It is wisdom, it's in the wisdom literature, but it's not simply wisdom given for our contemplation, it's wisdom given so that we would harness it and apply it in our lives. You read through this book and you cannot miss one exhortation, one command after another, imperative after imperative, to take this information and to make it work in your life. Wisdom applied is skillful living. That's often what we say. Or let me say today, wisdom applied is excellent living. 
It is excellent living. And it is a commendable pursuit in this day and age because we live in a time which espouses mediocrity. We live in a time where mediocrity is perfectly acceptable. Just enough, just on time. Let's cut some corners, let's get to the end result quickly. Let's push out more but not give attention to the quality. Mediocrity is what defines the age we live in and the Bible, specifically the book of Proverbs, exhorts the reader to live a life of excellence. Moral excellence, spiritual excellence, academic excellence, excellence in business pursuits, excellence in relationships. The list goes on and on. This morning, in these first seven verses, we're given the the doorway, as it were, into this book. Because Proverbs is a difficult book to read. The structure, people struggle to understand the way in which this book is structured. The Proverbs themselves are tricky to understand. It is often the case that as you open a biblical book, it is often the case that the first few verses, the introduction or the prologue, give you the clues needed They provide the the interpretive grid that you need to understand the rest of the book. So this morning, we look at the first seven verses, and indeed, these first few verses instruct us, the reader, how to engage with the Proverbs. Specifically, what we'll see in our time are five principles for the pursuit of excellence. Five principles for the pursuit of excellence. Before we dive in and look at these five principles, just two thoughts as to why this is so necessary for you. Number one, we serve an excellent God. We serve an excellent God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is concerned about issues of sin and right living. But he is also excellent. Our God is skillful. When God exercises his decrees, he does it with the utmost excellence. When he has 10,000 options before him, all of them good for your life, he always picks the very best one for you. We don't have a God that cuts corners or has errors of judgment. And one of the primary ways in which we as his people honor the Lord is to imitate his character. We image him to the utmost of our ability We go throughout our daily lives representing him well, which means it is is incumbent upon us to live a life of excellence. Second thought, why it's important for us to harness the wisdom in this book, there is a tight relationship between wisdom and righteousness. There is a very close relationship between wisdom and righteousness, or to put it the other way, there is a tight relationship between folly and sin. You see, the the book of Proverbs is not concerned most fundamentally with with sin and right living, but with wisdom and folly and, and what I would call the gray areas of life. But don't think that you can separate one's fear from the other. You make one foolish decision and you have put yourself in a spot where you are more likely now to make a second foolish decision. You make a second foolish decision and most likely now you're about to make a third foolish decision. 
And if you keep making those foolish decisions, I guarantee that at some point, it's going to lead to sinful decisions. And you're going to make a whole mess of something because it all started with a lack of wisdom. You make a good decision, a wise choice in a gray area of life, well, you're now positioned to make another good decision. And it is much more likely that you're going to keep yourself within the path of righteousness because there is a tight relationship between wisdom and right living. So, it is incredibly important for us to be in this book, taking the wisdom and putting it to work in our lives. How do we pursue excellence? Five ideas for you from one through seven. The first is that we need to know. We're just going to outline this passage according to the main verbs. The first is that we simply need to know. Verse 1, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. It is a simple observation that in order to live an excellent life, you need to know the information in this book. But notice, it is not simply speaking about data gathering. The idea is not simply that we, we take in this information as mere data, but rather that we set it to work, that we internalize it, that we begin to own this information for ourselves. Look at the second half of that verse, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. You can have all of the information in the world and be a fool. You need to take it on board and harness it. It needs to become your own. The wisdom in this book needs to become what defines you. It needs to become your own convictions. As I think about this simple concept, I'm reminded of my very first week in military training. I showed up just like everybody else that joined with me that week, like a rabbit in headlights. No idea what was going on. And of course, we're issued our uniform, <clears throat> and in those first few days, we went out onto the parade ground, and we must have stood on that parade ground for hours. We were just stood there at attention, and this drill sergeant's walking around, and he's inspecting every man, and he stands just inches from your face, and he's inspecting you for maybe 20 minutes. He's looking at your shoes, and he wants to make sure that your shoes are like glass. He wants to see his face in your shoes, and your trousers just one crisp crease all the way up, and the same with your shirt, no train tracks allowed, just one iron crease. He wants to make sure you're clean shaven. There was one inspection where he said, yeah, you just, you just missed right there, right there. And then he gets to your hat, and we had this, this white cap, it had a badge on the front that was just very shiny because it was brand new, it had the queen's crown on it and a wreath around it. And by the time he got there, when he was inspecting me, I thought, okay, this is the last part of the inspection, and I must be through by now because there's nothing wrong with my cap. It's brand new. The badge is shiny. He said, take off your cap. So I took off my cap. On the inside of the cap, there's this, this pin. It's a long pin, and it keeps the badge in place on the front. I hadn't thought about the pin one second. It's dull, just this pin. He said to me, why didn't you polish the pin? I 
Now listen, I know that that drill sergeant did not care whether I had polished the pin or not. But what he was trying to do was to raise the standard of every guy on that parade ground. What he wanted to do was for the standards of the establishment to become our own standards. He wanted for the standards of the establishment to become our own personal convictions. He wanted us to own those standards for ourselves. And that is what is, is, is being taught here in this second verse of Proverbs. You have to know the wisdom, the instruction in this book in such a way that you are convicted of it. That it starts to guide and define your life. And if it doesn't, then you may know Christ and you may know the gospel and you may know much doctrine and theology, but there could still be a clumsiness about your Christianity. There could still be a clumsiness about your walk with Christ. One bad decision after another. I'm not talking about gross manifestations of sin. I'm talking about not quite having a good read on a situation. And you don't really know how to respond and you make a foolish decision. And if that is the case, if that's what your life looks like, then it's because you have not started to harness the wisdom in this book. Second principle is to receive. The first is simply to know, to take, to own it. The second is to receive, verse three. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, righteousness justice, and equity. <clears throat> now, the, the teacher-student relationship is in view here. So the student of this book must be ready to receive instruction from the teacher. And the word instruction could be translated as discipline. The idea is, is of a training, maybe chastisement. There will be a rebuke involved. To harness wisdom, you must be willing to receive instruction, and the instruction will not necessarily be easy to hear, and therefore it implies a sense of humility on your part. Picture the scene. Solomon is sat on his throne. His son is sat before him. The royal court is gathered, leaning in, because they want to hear what the father has to say to the son. Solomon's about to pass on wisdom to his son, knowing that very soon this young man will be sat in his position governing the nation of Israel. There is maybe one thing that will ruin that time of instruction. Maybe one thing more than anything else that will render that, the efforts of Solomon to pass on his wisdom futile. And it is pride in the young man's heart. In fact, as you read through the book of Proverbs, over and over again, the, the principle comes out that the, the thing that prevents you from successfully applying the wisdom of this book in your own life is pride. The fool is a major player in the book of Proverbs, and, and the fool is defined by, by his own correctness, his, his own opinion of himself. The fool in the book, of, the book of Proverbs never considers that he has made a bad choice. He is fixated on the correctness of his own opinion. And yet Proverbs 1 tells us that the pursuit of excellence requires a willingness 
to submit to the teaching of others. And notice that that relational nature from teacher to student is extended as we look at the type of wisdom that's being passed on. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now Solomon's eager to add those last three terms because there is a kind of wise dealing. There is a kind of wise dealing that looks after self. There's a kind of wise living that puts number one as your first priority. And Solomon says, the wise dealing that I give you in this book is wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. These are all relational terms. They talk about the benefit of the community. So the sense is that the student sits in front of the teacher with a humble heart, willing to receive instruction and correction, and as he then seeks to apply the wisdom, it is always to the benefit of those around him. It means relational humility. It means that as you pursue a life of excellence, you are located in the community. It is never, ever a lone ranger endeavor. You can't live an excellent life by yourself. You have to show up. When the community gathers, you have to show up. And you show up with the assumption that you have something to learn. Let me say that again. You show up with the assumption that you have something to learn. I remember being in your position, and I remember the pride in my heart thinking that I had everything figured out. And I look back now and think how foolish I was. You need to show up and assume you have something to learn. And when you receive the teaching from God's word, and when you receive wisdom passed on to you, you seek to set it to work so as to benefit those around you. Relational humility. Receive, the second point. The third point is that you would give. Verse four, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So there's a change of perspective here. From student to teacher, he, the student receives instruction. In verse four, we're now looking at it from the perspective of the teacher. The teacher gives the instruction. He gives prudence to the simple. As we think through again how this, the mechanics given to us in these first seven verses as they guide us into the book of Proverbs, how they would play themselves out in the church today, it would be logical to infer that at some point in the pursuit of excellence, we are not simply receiving, but we're also giving. At some point, we seek to have influence on those around us. Or you might say at some point, it is entirely appropriate to disciple those whom God has put in your life. We pass on what we have learned. Now, that is not to suggest that we all seek to teach in some formal capacity, not necessarily so, but if you belong to the community, then at some point you will seek to have an influence, you will seek to pass on what you've learned. This principle highlights the responsibility that we have in the church to our young people. Now, let me make a prediction. 
in the next 10 to 15 years, a lot of you will be married and have children. I know you don't believe me. I know you don't believe me. And let me make a second prediction. It will go by like that. Very soon, in the, in the not too distant future, you'll be married and you'll be a parent. And I want you to remember the responsibility that you have amongst God's people to train up the young people in the area of wisdom. Did you notice who's in view in this verse? To give prudence to the simple. The simple man is just one of many characters in the narrative of Proverbs. We have the fool, the simple, the son, the mother, the father, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. There are many different characters in the narrative of Proverbs. The simple is not the same as the fool. They are two different people in this book. The fool knowingly, intentionally turns his back on wisdom. Look down at the very last part of verse 7. Fools despise wisdom. They are intentional about their rejection of wisdom. That's not the simple. The simple man in view here is simply naive. He's gullible. He is easily led astray. He doesn't know any better. Now, he is malleable. He's not hard-hearted. He's capable of being shaped and formed by wisdom. But he's young. He lacks sense. He's not in a position to make a good choice. And what that does is it puts the simple in a position of grave danger. As you read through Proverbs 1 through 9, you see over and over again two worldviews being presented. The worldview of wisdom and the worldview of folly. And both of them are crying out for the attention and the allegiance of the simple. And then sure enough, you get to the end of the, of the very long introduction. In chapter 9, the simple is in view and we see the two ladies crying out. And Lady Wisdom says, come in here and be fed. And with exactly the same words, Lady Folly says, come in here and be fed. And he doesn't have the wisdom to make a good choice. That's why he's called simple. And the, the allure of folly is quick gains, a fast return, immediate gratification, and the end is always death. The man is incredibly impressionable. He's easily swayed and he doesn't have the wisdom he needs to make a good choice. And so the logic of Proverbs says we have a moral responsibility to train up those that come after us in the way of wisdom. You need to keep learning wisdom, yes, and then you need to start thinking about how you would pass this on. We teach our young people the gospel, yes and amen. We teach them and train them in the truths of the gospel. And we teach them doctrine, right thinking and theology that flows out of the cross. But don't neglect to train up those whom God has put in your life in the areas that are gray, that, that, that require skill, the wisdom issues. 
I was talking with my daughter just the other day about what the difference is between a credit card and a debit card. My wife and I were talking about the budget and, and my daughter was there and she said, what's a credit card? So we talked to her about the difference and, and, we, said, and we showed her how there is a way of using both types of card to honor the Lord. You can honor the Lord with your money and there is a way of using a credit card or a debit card that is utterly reckless, utterly foolish. And it is not primarily, first and fundamentally, a, a sin issue. We're not talking about gross moral failure. We're talking about the skill of living. As you sit here right now, you may even be thinking, I don't even feel like I have that skill. I don't know the first thing about how to handle money in a way that honors Christ. You know what? I... I, I get that marriage is a good thing. I don't even know what to look for in a spouse. What would be a good quality? I don't know how to make a good choice and a really good choice. You may be sat here right now, and I'm fully conscious of the fact that, that the simple may be right here. We can put our conversation about the next generation to one side just for a minute and observe the fact that you may be thinking, I don't know how to be a good employee. I don't know what the Bible teaches me about skillful workmanship. And how do I balance the responsibilities that a job places upon me with the responsibilities that still exist outside of the realm of, of work? And that is why I said when I got up here, you are in a very privileged position right now to be here. To be at an institution like this where you are given not simply academics, but there are people all around you who are desperate to pass on skillful living. Don't waste these few years that you have on this campus to harness all of the wisdom that you need to live life well. And then remember, in turn, your responsibility to pass that on. Uh, point number four, we need to move forward. Number four, verse five, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. The point is simply that we must persevere. We know, we receive, we give, we persevere. Now the, the NAS, I think it has a translation uh, that says something like the wise man will hear. The ESV says let the wise hear, and, th and that would be the better translation here. The particular verb form has more of a, an imperative force to it. It's not a declarative fact that the wise man will increase, but rather the wise man needs to make sure he keeps going. Now that's interesting because if I said to you this morning, to whom is the book of Proverbs written, you might have said the fool, you might have said the son, you might have said the simple. There are many answers you might have given. You probably would not have thought that the book of Proverbs is written to the wise man. And that's exactly who is in view here. The wise man who sits in opposition to the fall, he is the one who has taken on wisdom. He is the one who has steadfastly, consistently harnessed the wisdom of this book and put it to work in his life in such a way that he now exudes excellence. And everywhere he goes, people know him for this. And Solomon says, that man, he needs to press on in his pursuit of wisdom. Your pursuit of excellence is never over. 
Whatever you know about this book, there's more to be known. And however skillful you might navigate through the contours of life, you can get better at it. The danger is always complacency. The danger is complacency. I think about the men up at the seminary and I think about the position of danger they are in. To walk across that stage and to graduate, how easy it is to think that you have finished your learning. To think that you now know all there is to pastoring a church. Whereas the reality is they've only just begun their learning. It's the same reason that my friend Harry asked the question, why do good people do bad things? Let me tell you, there is nobody that commits adultery that goes into that marriage saying, I want to wreck this thing. Nobody goes into a marriage saying, my plan in 10 years' time will be to bring this thing off the rails. And yet somehow it happens, and often it happens seemingly out of the blue. How did we get to this point? It's not through intention. It's through a lack of persevering in the realm of wisdom. And one foolish decision will lead to a second foolish decision. And before long, there is sin in that relationship. Why do good people do bad things? It's because they became complacent. You have to keep going. You have to persevere with your pursuit of wisdom. Last point, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The last point is simply to fear, and it's the Lord whom we fear. Now, this comes last in the list, and yet it is the most foundational. It is the theological foundation of this whole book. Without the fear of the Lord, you have no access to the Proverbs in the truest sense. Without the fear of the Lord, you cannot live an excellent life. Without the fear of the Lord, the world may esteem you, but you will be a fool. The fear of the Lord is a primarily Old Testament phrase. It's an Old Testament concept. And if we could boil it down to its irreducible minimum, the fear of the Lord simply means to submit to his revealed will. You submit to his revealed will, that is his word. I want you to notice it is not a passive concept. We too often think of the fear of the Lord as some kind of reverential awe. We're just impressed and, and awestruck by the Lord, and then we, we are exhibiting the fear of the Lord. That's not what the Bible shows us about this one phrase. The fear of the Lord is very active in its sense. It does begin with an, an awe that we have about the character and the nature of God, but then it then pushes us on to obedience. The fear of the Lord means that you strive and you strain and you sweat and you do all that you can to bend yourself and get yourself under His Word. It means you are doing whatever it takes to conform your mind and your heart and your soul and you use all of your strength to obey the Word of God. And when that is your disposition, when that's how you live your life, then you are positioned to study the pursuit of excellence. 
And as we step back from Proverbs now in these last few minutes and we think about the role of the fear of the Lord in the Scriptures and even the book of Proverbs in the Bible, it is right to observe that you cannot truly fear the Lord, submit to His revealed will unless you first have the Spirit of Christ in you. You cannot obey Him unless you have the Spirit of Christ in you. Christ, who we've already noted this morning, the New Testament tells us, was the wisdom of God. In wisdom, God sent Christ to live as a man on earth. In wisdom, Christ dwelt amongst foolish men. He walked this earth with the utmost excellence Christ never made a foolish choice. He never had an error of judgment. Christ was more skilled with his words and with his hands and his feet than anybody who ever lived. And it was in wisdom that Christ received the mocking of men and the beating of men. And in wisdom, Christ walked to the cross like a sheep that is led to the slaughter, not opening his mouth, but opening up his arms to die on a cross and die a sinner's death for those that would believe in him and trust in him. And according to God's wisdom, three days later, he rose again. And it is only when you cast yourself upon that Christ and you make that gospel your gospel, it is only when you proclaim that gospel as the message that has saved you from your sin and made you right with God and given you peace with Him, that is when you can start the pursuit of an excellent life. And for as much as you do not embrace that Christ and that gospel, Though you may show up and though you may say all the right things and though you may know how to look like a Christian, if you have not truly embraced that gospel, then you are a fool. And the only life that you will ever lead is a foolish one and its end is destruction. So let me plead with you to embrace Christ who is the wisdom of God, to say yes to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and from there to pursue a life of excellence. Pursue excellence. As we do so, we honor our God because we show his character to a watching world. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful for the gospel that saves us and for the wisdom that you give us to live in every sphere of life. Thank you, God, that you have equipped us to live skillfully. We know that it honors you to live with excellence and it is our desire to do so. I pray for these young men and women at such a formative place in their life, setting trajectories that will last into eternity. 
that they would joyfully embrace Christ and his saving gospel. And thereafter, they would pursue in every area a life well lived. Help them to be diligent to give themselves to the Proverbs and to know what it looks, looks like to live a skillful life. May this campus ooze excellence. May your glory go out from here because of the students that study here. We commit ourselves to you. We ask for your help, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name.